I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about something exciting and new that we're doing to help you connect, emerge, and imagine for the future. Gravity Healthcare Consulting is hosting our first Gravity Innovation Symposium, featuring prominent leaders and visionaries in senior living. The speakers include Patrick Crump, President and CEO of Morningside Senior Living, Ken Connolly, Vice President of Operations at Lutheran Social Services of Maryland, Chelsea Boyle, CEO of Edge Therapy Solutions, and Irene Henrik, Director of Quality and Compliance. These speakers will be sharing some of their most valuable lessons from the last few years and how these lessons have inspired and informed their vision for the future. Our sessions include a PDPM 2.0 booster. So now that we've lived with PDPM for two years, how do we make our, our systems and processes even better? Behind the curtain, a SNF leader's perspective of 2021, that's an include, going to include a roundtable discussion. Secrets to PDPM success, year in review. This will be our annual report about the results from our PDPM and MDS audits and things that we have learned about trends and opportunities and communities. And finally, keeping therapy on the edge, a roundtable discussion with industry experts. The symposium is going to be on November 10th, run from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. There is no cost, so please make sure to get online and register for that. And if you are not able to attend the live event, we will be posting the recordings on our website and hosting them in other locations so that you're able to access them. So just search for Gravity Innovation Symposium 2022, and we hope to see you there. Welcome. You're listening to Gravity Healthcare Hacks with your host, Melissa Brown, Chief Operating Officer from Gravity Healthcare Consulting and self-professed healthcare nerd. Monthly, we will provide industry expertise and tips to help keep your feet firmly on the ground in the world of healthcare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. Your therapy department needs help. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be discussing the pros and cons, the positives and drawbacks about each of the various therapy models and how you can determine if now might be the right time for you to think about making a switch. Let me start right off the bat to remind our listeners and to let you know if you're new here that I don't work for a therapy company. We are an independent consulting firm, and we also provide oversight services for in-house therapy programs. And I also do consulting for a variety of regional and national contract therapy companies, as well as for management therapy services. So my diverse background and current experience gives me a really unique perspective to compare and contrast the various models and to identify the impact of changing from one model to another. I've been personally involved with transitioning to and from in-house models, as well as moving from contract therapy to management agreements. So today what I want to talk about is the truth of what really happens when you change models and hopefully demystify the process and talk about some of the research we've done with unrestricted access to hundreds of communities across the various models. So let's talk about what's often on SNF providers' minds these days, margins and cost. Everyone has been slammed by various costs over COVID, and some have managed to move through the pandemic relatively unscathed but most are looking for any way they can to make up margins because costs have increased and census has dropped. And 
really, we don't know if or when census will ever recover to pre-pandemic levels. Compounding that with PDPM, you know, there's a reduced focus on achieving the arbitrary number of therapy minutes for reimbursement. And because of that, the perceived value that a therapy company brought to the table seems diminished to a lot of SNF providers. But I would say not so fast. Actually, what we're seeing is that the therapy company's importance is even greater than it ever was before. There are a variety of ways to get the support your therapy department needs. So this is definitely not a sell on contract rehab. But one thing I have seen in my decades of experience is this. A true in-house program with no external support will just about always have significantly less revenue, significantly higher cost, and the lowest actual SNF provider therapy margins. Let me touch briefly on the research Gravity did in 2020. We looked at a variety of communities under various models, and we compared an in-house program with a traditional management model and a typical contract rehab setup. And what we saw honestly surprised us. We carefully constructed the study so that we were only looking at buildings that were an exact match for case mix, complexity, skilled census, and payers, and all of the communities were life plan communities. And by doing this, we were able to demonstrate that the impact that just changing the various models brought about. The ultimate goal of this study was to better understand how the various models impacted the therapy department and the SNF provider. The results of that study showed that contract therapy yielded the highest SNF provider margins with traditional management models showing 60% uh, less SNF margins and in-house programs with no oversight coming in last place with 71% less SNF margins. So now let's chat a little bit more about some of the other details beyond just the basic operations and the basic margin of the various models and kind of talk about some of the pros and cons, the positives and the common concerns. So let's start with contract therapy. Probably the predominant way that therapy services have been provided up to this point, absolutely the predominant way that therapy was delivered under RUGS 4. And interesting to consider that perhaps as we begin to move to the future, contract therapy might begin to take more of a backseat. But let's still talk about why it could be a good fit for your community and what some of the things are you need to be aware of if you've got contract therapy, you know, some of the things that maybe aren't as ideal as they could be with some of the other models. So let's talk about the positives. You get full regular daily operational oversight. Their operations, the therapy company's operations and revenue and all of that is tied into running that department well for you as well. And you should see improved outcomes and operational efficiencies. On the concern side, therapy costs can sometimes be higher, though I haven't seen this very often, to be honest with you, in my research and in all the times I've done uh, rehabilitation audits of an on-site program. But usually, even if it is more expensive, this should be uh, offset by significant increases in revenue. On the positive side, we usually see a really high level of compliance, especially if you've got a great therapy partner. They're doing things like training. They're following all the therapy-specific regulations on your behalf, and they partner with the SNF to transition through regulatory changes. Big shifts like PDPM and what's probably coming with the cuts in physician-assistant reimbursement. And on the concern side, the compliance services could favor the contract therapy's interest more than the SNF providers. 
On the positive side, they're going to indemnify therapy-related denials. And, you know, on the, the side of concern would be that they might attempt to get out of denials when they don't believe they're at fault. So that can sometimes create a she said, he said environment, which isn't necessarily everyone's favorite. But I think that can be well managed, again, if you've got the right partner. On the positive side, contract therapy usually provides denial management. I've worked with several providers who um, fight 100% of denials and have a 99% denial over turn rate. So, you know, if you're not seeing that with the provider you're working with, that could be a good indicator that it maybe is a time to change either the provider or the model that you're using. So now let's break down in-house programs. And I want to kind of specify here that these would be in-house programs that don't really have any external oversight. So whatever oversight's being provided, whether it's a corporate management team member or somebody on site that's kind of acting as sort of a regional slash compliance officer, anything like that, that's being provided by the corporation that owns the facility and is not being provided by an external service like Gravity Offers. So for a true in-house program, on the positive side, there is limited operational oversight for the, um, the therapy department, which allows the ED or the NHA to provide oversight for therapy. So it gives you more internal control. Uh, one of the challenges with that can also be that um, while EDs and NHAs have a vast amount of experience and education, a lot of it tends not to be centered around therapy. So understanding some of the nuances and the changes that are just constantly coming with the way we go about rehab might not be in their wheelhouse. On the concern side, again, this is based on the research. We see that productivity requirements tend to be lower with an in-house program. Salaries are almost always higher. I can tell you but from my research uh, and from buildings that I've been personally involved with, we have seen salaries at the 99th percentile. They're literally setting the record for the region. Um, uh, we always see a reduction in revenue. And uh, again, the ED or NHA, um, you know, might not have all the experience that they would uh, want to have to guide them in leading the therapy department. And quite frankly, uh, because an ED and NHA have such a vast reach of responsibility in the nursing home, there's really only so much time they can devote to rehab. And, and that's, uh, that's reasonable and understandable. So that can create some of these challenges. On the positive side, uh, the compliance services are usually more focused on global interdisciplinary indicators, and it can help your therapy department think more about how their documentation can support the entire medical chart and any potential ADRs or denials. What we see, however, is, and, and I've worked with a lot of clients that were contract rehab, and then they went in-house, and six months later, they came running back to contract rehab. I've also worked with people that have been or have been in-house for 10 years and 20 years, and what we've seen over and over and over again is that the therapy-specific compliance is usually outdated within six months. So within six months, they're already veering away from industry standards, and even a lot of times, the things they already know and were taught from when they were with contract rehab just six months ago, because no one's kind of minding the store and paying attention to some of those details. And what we usually see is that there's severe deviations within just a few years of transitioning to in-house. So this places you at a high risk to become a target of the MAX and the SIO. We're working with a client just started working with them this year. And uh, prior to us getting involved, this small therapy department had almost 50 ADRs and denials, including some SIO audits um, from the previous year before we got involved. 
and they were losing all of them. And quite frankly, as we reviewed the documentation, they should have lost all of them. But for really small logistical mistakes that they were repeating over and over, and nobody addressed the problem. And what's most surprising about this scenario is that this isn't a large nursing home chain with a huge reach that would be someone that Medicare or SIO or the Max would be super interested in. This is a small organization with only two communities, but because of their lack of compliance and their deviations from from the standard provision of services and documentation and things like that, they became a target. So it can absolutely happen, unfortunately. On the positive side, you're able to determine which denials to fight and everyone's on the same page together. You kind of get away from that she said, he said environment. What we have also seen, however, on the on sort of the negative side is that there tends to be a lower success rate, especially as it relates to rehab. The SNF facility is usually pretty able to um, combat ADRs and denials relative to nursing, but from the therapy side, there tends to be more of a challenge and it's usually mismanaged. In the example that I, I just gave about the SIO audit target building, um, you know, they, they kept coming up with the same issues over and over again, and nobody actually communicated that or address the root cause or solve the problem so they wouldn't keep getting them. So really unfortunate, of course, now that we're involved consulting there, that's all been fixed, but you know, we're still processing through denials that are coming through before our time. And on the positive side, there's full and transparent awareness of all ADRs and denials up front. And, um, you know, as we said, from, from the concern side, there's usually more of a focus on the nursing uh, expertise in your denials team than there would be on the therapy side. Finally, let's stop at a traditional management agreement scenario. So from the positive angle, you do get some operational oversight. So it's better in that perspective than being in-house, but usually it's a little reduced. So it's more like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And you tend to see somewhat improved revenues as compared to in-house. On the concern side, we actually still see that productivity tends to be mismanaged and salaries tend to be inflated, closer to the 75th percentile. On the positive side, we see some therapy-related compliance. So they're going to provide some of the training and, and help facilitate some of what you need. But you kind of run into a conflict of interest. And this is really where if you're going to go with a management therapy solution, which sometimes is what we would recommend to clients, it depends on what their individual needs are. But you really want to make sure you find the right partner because the fixed monthly management fee means that the management company is incentivized to provide as little services as they can while still meeting your needs. So that's why you want to look for a really good partner because they're going to want to do a great job for you. They're going to have their own sense of, of ethics and responsibility to the residents and their care. And so that kind of helps to address this potential conflict of interest. On the positive side, many do offer ADR and denial consulting services for an additional fee. Unfortunately, we find a lot of times that the fees can exceed the amount of the denial. So you're, you're losing either way, whether you fight the denial or you don't, you're taking a financial hit. And ultimately, no indemnification means no risk for the management company. So that can be a real challenge to work through um, if they're not incentivized, uh, again, from being a good partner and wanting to do what's right and best, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be motivated to help you avoid these. On the positive side, therapists are usually really satisfied with this arrangement. Um, 
the, the challenge you run into is that in a typical management agreement, the management company can't really hold the therapist accountable because they're not their therapist and they're not their in-house HR department or their direct report, such as the NHA or ED. And so, um, you know, they can't really execute difficult things. They can't really enforce things. The recommendations and the requests that they make don't really have a lot of teeth behind them. So that's one of the biggest weaknesses and challenges with a traditional management agreement. Now, for those of you looking for something new and unique, I just did a podcast, episode 14, putting therapy on the edge. And I talked extensively with Ashley Haltenhoff about this new model. So I'm not going to talk a lot more about that here. But if you want to learn more, if you're thinking about changing your model or your vendors, make sure to check that out. Getting back to talking about some of the traditional models, one of the other key things that I want to point out with you comes from a case study of an in-house program that Gravity took over, and we provide consulting oversight for this department. So it's a true in-house program, but we're really providing all the compliance and operational oversight for this department. So this particular SNF provider had been in-house for 20 years. And when we did our initial rehabilitation audit to see how the department was doing and, and how they compared with best practices and industry standards and things like that, what we identified was that the majority of long-term care residents had not been screened in the last year prior to the audit. And unfortunately, many had not been screened in over three years meaning that, you know, the long-term care needs were really underserved in this particular community. The department had a 50% productivity average, and they had, over the last two years, sustained an average therapy departmental loss of $33,000 a month. So they were losing that much money every single month, and that had been consistent for two years straight. Once therapy got involved in six months with appropriate oversight, They increased to at least $40,000 in margins per month. We lost only two out of the 18 therapy associates. We achieved 75% or greater productivity in the department. And we improved outcomes and resident satisfaction. And I can tell you, we've only gone onward and upward from there. We continue to remain in this community many years later, and they continue to do a phenomenal job and, and see even higher margins than they did at this point. The main point that I want to make here, though, is this appropriate leadership in the therapy department, which is able to hold therapy staff accountable, can make vast improvements in quality and margins while maintaining approximately the same staff. We only lost two out of 18 associates. This demonstrates that the actual associates, the actual therapists are not the differentiating factor in many cases, but the level and the quality of oversight that's provided. You know, the analogy that I like to think about is a football team. I love, I love Steelers football. I've seen every game for the last 20 plus years. And uh, I think I've found as many of you, I'm sure have that leadership is really what makes the difference on the team. You can have a team that has a losing year and they change the head coach and they go to the playoffs the next year. And the team's approximately the same. You might've had a few few position changes. That, that happens every year to every team, but you can't tell me that a few position changes were what brought that team to the playoffs after a losing year or several u- losing years in a row. And so I think the example runs true here for therapy as well. 
If you've got the right oversight, which often comes from picking the right model and the right partner for your community, you can see dramatic changes without having to change your staff. And I think that staff stability really gives um, a lot of reassurance to the patients and helps make whatever transition as smooth as possible. So what should you do? How do you know if it's time to think of making a switch? The real answer is it depends. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution. And many times when we go in and consult with um, organizations or communities that ask us to come in and do a rehabilitation audit and make recommendations for how they should move forward, we often will make a recommendation for several models and kind of talk them through um, based on their culture and their challenges and their successes, you know, what could be some of the various pros and cons for them of going with each model and, and ultimately which one might we recommend. But you really want to ask yourself, how well is your current therapy model serving you? Remember that therapy should be your second highest revenue margin producer in your community, second only to pharmacy. So if that's not true, that could be a really good indicator that it might be time to make a change. How do you even know if your therapy team is performing well? Everybody likes them. Patients are happy. Is that really all that matters? And I would say it's not. The truth is you need to do some benchmarking and trending and really consider getting an independent third-party rehabilitation audit. They should be looking at things like operations, P&L, productivity, overtime, labor management. We want them to focus on compliance and best practice strategies. They should be looking at your ADRs and denials for trends, risks, and concerns. Um, doing an analysis of therapy leadership on site, uh, just like we talked about with the football analogy, it also applies to the director of rehab um, to a lesser degree, but nonetheless, you've got to have the right person at the helm in your actual department. And then finally, assessing the clinical approach and effectiveness of the on-site therapy team. And to help you further, here are some key indicators, maybe a little bit more pragmatic and hands-on ways that you can think about that you know, this might be, if you would answer yes to any of these, this might be a reason that you should start looking at potentially other models or other providers, or at least getting a rehab audit to see how you're really doing. So here are some of the sort of gut checks that I take when I look at a therapy department. If therapy doesn't address some or most of the residents' needs, especially in long-term care, that tends to be a good sign that you need to make a change in your department. I'll tell you what, I worked on the front lines as an occupational therapist for 15 years in SNFs. And I learned as I became more experienced and got the right training and mentorship that there was almost no long-term care problem that a patient had that one of the therapy disciplines could not be a part of helping to address. doesn't mean every solution came from us. And there were definitely some things that were just purely nursing and had nothing to do with therapy. But by and large, there was almost always an opportunity for therapy to get involved. So, you know, for example, if a patient's fallen 27 times and therapy just says, I can't pick them up anymore and they don't have any solutions and they've only treated them once or twice, that's a pretty good indication that maybe things aren't quite as good as they could be in your department. If therapists are unhappy and unmotivated, you know, it's been a as everybody has said, an unprecedented season with the pandemic. And that has caused a lot of burnout in your therapy departments. But generally speaking, therapists are excited to come to work and they love to see progress with their patients and they take a lot of pride in what they do. That's what I've seen consistently across the industry. And so if you've got a department where that's not happening, 
that could be a real indication that it's a time to think about making a change. If you find therapy operating in silo from the organization and there's not a true team approach, I've seen a great team approach in all of the various models. So it's really about finding the right partner when it comes to that. Productivity is poor. Uh, if your productivity is below 80% in your therapy department, that should be a huge warning sign to you. Um, not to say that that's the standard that I would set in a lot of communities. I would set it a little bit higher, but I think that's a pretty good threshold to say something doesn't seem quite right here. And what you want to look at is not the therapist putting in, oh, I went to this care plan and I went to this meeting and I um, helped out with this project because therapists are expected to have all of that built into their sort of unbillable, non-productive time. What you really want is a report of the total minutes that they build out versus the total minutes they were clocked in and you paid them. What's that productivity standard? Because a lot of the electronic medical records will kind of let them add some of those other things. And it makes it look like, depending on how you've set up the system, that their productivity is actually higher than it is. And then you still find yourself being unprofitable. So uh, that's definitely something that, you know, you can get help with if it's not something you know how to look into. But um, if your productivity is below 80% for the department, that's a really good indicator that you guys are not achieving what you could be achieving in that department. And then non-compliance in the department is a great way to indicate to you that um, things might not be quite as good as they could be. Again, highly recommend that you don't just use someone in your own corporate team to basically evaluate themselves. A lot of times it's like a, court, a compliance officer or vice president of compliance and quality or something like that. It's doing the audits and they're basically auditing, auditing themselves, right? Their success with keeping the team compliant. So you're not really getting a true picture. And, you know, we've seen in communities that went from contract rehab to in-house for just three years by the time we got involved, huge, huge deviations in compliance. And the person they had overseeing the department was someone they hired away from the corporate team of the contract therapy company they had just been with. So, you know, it, you really need to make sure you get someone from the outside to come in and validate your actual status. Even if it's something you just do once every three to five years as sort of a sort of a sniff test or a litmus test to see, you know, how are we faring and make sure your team continues to support you well. So I hope that all of this has given you food for thought about your therapy department. I often get asked, how can a provider know if they should consider a new therapy solution or perhaps changing the vendor or the model? And I think these are a few key things that can shine light on the right time to make a change. And by the same token, I hope they help you identify if you're uh, fortunate enough to be in a situation where things are going well and a transition isn't necessary. If you'd like to learn more about Gravity's therapy services or get a recommendation for management therapy or contract therapy, please see the links in the podcast description or feel free to reach out to me directly. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Remember, it's not just what you know, but how you apply it that makes all the difference. See you next time.